Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we, we humbly come before you here this evening, uh, looking to you as the author and the finisher of faith. Lord, help us as we uh, continue to glean from uh, the book of Judges, Lord. So much to learn, uh, so much to understand. The bottom line, we see the obedience and we see the disobedience. And we see when we're obedient, you're going to bless. We see when we are disobedient, uh, the curses will come. And so, Lord, go before us now. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. If you have a Bible tonight, turn with me uh, to the book of Judges. And let's go to chapters 5 and 6. Uh, tonight we want to look at uh, the conclusion uh, of the ministry of Deborah, the song of Deborah. Last week in Judges chapters 4, uh, the victory over Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Uh, the commander of his army was Sisera. God used Deborah. Remember that her name was, it meant wasp in the Hebrew. Uh, she was a prophetess, and her commander, Barak, uh, to defeat the king, the king's commander, Sisera. Remember, a stake was driven uh, through his temple as he slept in Jael's tent. She was a Canaanite, or a Kenite, uh, from the family of, of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. The victory was Deborah's. The children of Israel were so grateful, they celebrated the victory with the song of Deborah. She was a good judge, a strong judge, a wise woman. At the end of the song, Israel had 40 years of rest in God through Deborah, uh, this judge. And yet sin came into the camp, as it always did in the book of Judges. Now, Deborah is the one that writes this song. What is the purpose uh, of this beautiful oed uh, to Deborah, a song of Deborah, a very poetic uh, song? It was for the children of Israel. Not only uh, the victory is being celebrated, but that through the years they would remember the song of Deborah, and they would remember the history behind it. And so let's get busy here in Judges uh, chapter 5, the song of Deborah. Uh, then Deborah and Barak, the son of Obinoam, uh, sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Notice the, the beautiful poetic song, giving God the glory. In verse 3, hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praises to the Lord God of Israel. Again, this song is beautiful. This song is about Deborah. This song is about her victory. But you'll notice that she always comes back and gives God the glory, and likewise for ourselves, no matter what God has us to do. And, and we're victorious, we're triumphant, and we have to give God the glory. People might come up and say, thank you, but all the glory goes to God, and that's what Deborah's doing here. In verse 4, Lord, when you went out from Seir, uh, you marched from the field of Edom. The earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed uh, before the Lord. This Sinai 
before the Lord God of Israel. Again, just giving testimony of what God has done. In verse 6, in the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted, and the travelers walked along the byways. There was much fear in the time of, of Shamgar. Remember that he was the, uh, the, he was the judge before Deborah. And so the travelers had to be very careful. Shamgar was a good judge, but he was not that long in the ministry. And yet we don't know much about him. But I want you to see that there was fear in the hearts. Imagine traveling for ourselves. We go throughout our country, or, or we go up to El Paso, or, or we go back to Southern California. Imagine there being fear because of the possibility of robbers, the possibility of, you know, other countries or other people attacking. And so always remember this as a believer. In 1 John 4.18, it says, Perfect love casts out all fear. Why was there fear? Fear comes when there's sin in the camp. Fear comes when there's disobedience. Fear comes when we're not doing the will of the Father. But perfect love casts out all fear. Look at verse 7. Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose, a mother in Israel. And even today, there are those that, that say the mother of Israel is Deborah because she was such a, a strong judge. She was a judge that listened to the voice of the Lord. She was a judge that brought a peace to the land. But during the time of Shamgar and during the time of other judges, uh, there was chaos. And again, why? Because of disobedience. Uh, notice verse 8. They chose new gods, small g. Uh, then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among the 40,000 in Israel. God took away the swords. God took away uh, the weaponry when Israel would go up against their enemies. I want you to remember this beautiful verse. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, in verse 17, the writer says, No weapon formed against you will ever prosper. If we're in Christ, if we're following the leads of Christ, if we're obeying the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. The children of Israel were victorious when there was no sin in the camp. The children of Israel were victorious when they obeyed the voice of God, when they obeyed the laws of God. Last Saturday, we had uh, a men in Christ breakfast, and we shared that Satan has schemes, the wiles of the devil. It says that he'll cast fiery missiles towards you. When we speak of the wiles of the devil, it's the schemes of the devil. It's the tricks of the devil. He has many bags of tricks, and he knows which button to push, and he'll come against you. And again, no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. And there in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul encourages, and that's what we told the men, put on the full armor of God. Put on the full armor of God. And look at verse 9. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offended 
or excuse me, who offered themselves willingly uh, with the people. Bless the Lord. Those that saw the leadership, those that respected the leadership of Deborah. And again, you need to remind ourselves, she's a woman, obviously, and men didn't take kindly uh, to follow the lead of a woman. But it's obvious there was no men uh, to take the charge as a judge. And so Deborah was lifted up, not by man, but by the Lord. She says again, giving the glory to God, verse 9 at the conclusion, bless the Lord. In verse 10, speak, you who ride on the white donkeys, you who sit in judges' attire and who walk along the road. He's speaking about those in leadership, speaking of those that have position, those that think they're pompous sometimes because they've got this title. Be careful. In verse 11, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. And then the people of the Lord shall go down uh, to the gates. Here in the verse again shows us that the children of Israel in the time of Deborah, they had forsaken the Lord and then they came back. Sin will always do that. And so in the song, she reminds them. In verse 12, awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, sing a song, arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Obeno-Am. We're told what to do in Scripture, and we're to be obedient, and that's what Deborah is singing about. Then the survivors came down, and the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me uh, against the mighty, God went before Deborah. God went before uh, her, her captain, Barak. Always remember to give God the glory. I love this. From Ephraim. In verse 14, from Ephraim, uh, where those whose roots were in Amalek, after you, Benjamin, and your peoples from Micar, rulers uh, came down, and from Zebulun, of those who bear the recruiter's staff. Look at the help that was made available. And so Deborah's recalling this help uh, in the song. And the princes of Ishakar, verse 15, were with Deborah. As Ishakar so was Barak sent into the valley under his command. Uh, among the divisions of Reuben, there was great resolve of heart. There were divisions in the camp. Remember that the 12... Uh, Tribes of Israel were scattered uh, throughout the promised land. They all had their inheritance. But some were happy, some were not happy. And so there was divisions even in the tribe of Reuben. But they resolved and they came together. They came in unity. In Psalm 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for those that dwell in unity. God brings us to that place. We might have some uh, different outlooks, but doctrine is doctrine. We might do something different here that they might do something different at a Baptist church, but we look at doctrine. And so there's these differences, but they it should not cause division. And so they came together in the time of Deborah. Look at verse 16 and 17. They go together. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds uh, to hear the piping of the flocks? 
The divisions of Reuben have great searching of heart. Gilead. Now, Gilead speaks of the area uh, where Gad would have gone. The Gadites, the tribe of Gad, stayed beyond the Jordan. And why did Dan remain on his ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. In her poetic song, she incorporates those tribes that did not help. They stayed in their places of inheritance, and they turned their back, in a sense, on Deborah. Uh, but Deborah continued. Verse 18, Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives uh, to the point uh, of death. They came and helped. Naphtali, another tribe, also on the heights of the battlefield. Uh, these were significant in backing up the plan uh, of Deborah and Barak, her, her captain. The kings came and they fought. Then the kings of Canaan uh, fought and, and Tanakh and the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of the silver. And when victories came, that was your payment. You would take of the spoils. Remember in the battle of Ai, there was one uh, that stole of the spoils. And God said, don't take it. There's times that the Lord says, take the spoils. And there's times that you don't take the spoils. Back in the battle of Ai, Achan took the spoils and God judged him. And God judged his family. Notice now. Verses 21, 22, and 23 go together. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon, speaking of the river, swept them away. That ancient torrent, uh, the torrents of Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on its strength. Then the horses of the hooves pounded, the galloping, the galloping of his steeds or the harnesses. Because the overflowing, there was so much rain, the torrents of Kishon and the banks overflowed. And imagine the mud that it would have created because Sisera had a great army for his king. And they had chariots. But because of the waters and because of the mud, uh, the horses were trapped. The mud that was created by the overflow of the Kishon. Remember that chariots were uh, what we call today a chariot in the days of the Old Testament it is equivalent today in, in our armies that have tanks. You have to have tanks. You, you have the foot soldier, obviously. But you have to have the tanks when you have infantry. You have to have the tanks when you, you know, march by foot. Imagine their chariots. They were no more. And so God went before Deborah. God went before her captain, Barak. And God said, in the song here that Deborah sings, God is the one that overflowed the river. God is the one that created the mud. And again, because the people were in obedience under Deborah. Look at verse 23. He says, curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants bitterly, because they did not come to help uh, the help of the Lord, uh, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Miraz is an area north of Kishon River. The curse went on them. We know, as mentioned last week, at the time in the history, 
this would overflow the river. Evidently, these people didn't help either. And so God cursed them. Most blessed among women is Jael. Now, uh, Deborah recalls the story of Jael. She's the one that killed Sisera. She's the one that took the, uh, the tent peg and, and ran it through his temple. Most blessed among women and is Jael, uh, the woman, uh, the wife of Heber, uh, the Kenite. Blessed is she among the women and the tents. Now remember, the Kenites became traitors against Israel. Uh, these are Moses' uh, father-in-law, Jethro. It's his family. They knew better. But they probably saw the huge armies. They probably saw the disadvantage. And so they chose to make a league with them. They chose to betray Israel. And yet Jael, this woman, she took it upon herself. She took it upon herself. She's like the harlot, Rahab, that said, I will support Israel. And she hung that red thread out her window. And she hid the spies, remember. And so Jael, listen to how she entrapped uh, Sisera. And so Deborah brings it into the song. In verse 25, he asked for water, speaking of Sisera. She gave him milk. She brought out cream in a lordly bowl. We know that she won his confidence. And then she not only, he wanted just water. He was, he was weary. He was running. And she offered his tent. And instead of water, she brought him cream. This would have been a, a Lord's bowl that she gave. And to give cream over water was to acknowledge your guest, was to give favor uh, to your guest. And, and so think about Sisera. Hey, it's not just water. This lady's taking care of me. And so in verse 26, she stretched her hand to the tent peg her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera. She pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. Vivid description. Remember, as we shared last week, uh, when she offered the tent, she offered a room in the back of the tent. And she hid him and, and covered him uh, after he partook of his meal, took partook of his, the cream of the milk and such. And then as he lay sleeping... She took advantage and took that tent peg and not only thrust it through, but pinned him to the ground. And notice that it says that, uh, you know, uh, split him through. In verse 27, as her feet, at her feet, he sank. Speaking of Sisera, he fell, he lay still. At her feet, he sank and he fell where he sank there. He fell dead. Here's the ballad of Deborah in the song, giving the glory to God what he did. How God used this woman, Jael. I like that Deborah did not forget her. Deborah singing the song, it could definitely all be all about her, but it, she's mentioned Barak, her captain. And now she's mentioning Jael. When her family had betrayed Israel. Look at verse 28. 
the mother of Sisera now. She looked through the window and she cried out through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the clatter of his chariot? His mother knew him. She knew he was a great captain. She knew he was a great warrior. She probably knew the children of Israel were a small army. Oh, this victory will be easy for my son. But now the time has elapsed. By now he should have come. I should have heard his chariots, the clanging of it. She probably uh, would have think, uh, be thinking, I should be hearing songs about my son. Notice verse 29. Her wisest ladies answered her. Yes, she answered herself. And they, are they not finding and dividing the spoil? To every man, uh, one girl or two? For Sisera, plunder of dyed garments? For Sisera, plunder of garments embroidered and dyed? For Sisera, uh, two pieces of dyed embroidery? For the nick of the looter? They would sing of the victory of the spoils. You see, the ladies that were under Sisera's mom, they knew the victory cries. And they knew when the victory took place, they would take the spoils of the land. Where are all these things? In verse 31, thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord. But let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. So the land had rest. Underline that. And so the land had rest for 40 years. The songs were to remind Israel of God's mighty hand against their enemies. We often hear about songs. We hear about ballads. We hear about odes to so-and-so and such. And it reminds us of what took place. And as it goes through generation after generation, they would sing the songs, and it would carry them through when they even went to battle. Here's some other songs that we see uh, in Scripture, songs that reminded the children of Israel. And so there's called the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32, a song of Hannah in her victory in First Samuel chapter 2, a song of the Ark of the Covenant, when David captured and brought it back in 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Uh, but I want you to listen to this. In Luke chapter 1, there is a beautiful song of Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's called the Magnificat. If you've never had a chance to, uh, to read it, you never had a chance uh, to go through it. And, and just a, a beautiful, again, a ballad. I know it... Uh, to Mary. And so they would sing these songs, these praises. And I could just see the kids because the Bible says, train up a child in the ways uh, uh, that he should go and the way that she should go. And when they grow old, they will not depart. We need to remind our children. And so they would say, Dad, sing us that song of Deborah when she was victorious. Lord, sing, Dad, sing us those songs when uh, they, they sang about Moses and the victory of Moses. Lord, sing us that song. Remind us in the songs. And so the songs are beautiful if we take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. 
There was rest under Deborah for 40 years. Prior to that, we had uh, read about rest for 80 years. But notice as we come in uh, to the next portion of the Judges, in chapter 6, the Midianites, they oppress Israel. The Midianites were not of God, and yet God is going to use them to chasten his own people. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian. Listen, for seven years, Israel was handed over to Midian. After 40 years of peace in the land, after 40 years of prosperity in the land under Deborah, they disobeyed God. 40 speaks of a generation. 40 also speaks of judgment in the scriptures. It says in verse 2, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, listen, the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. This is the children of Israel, God's people, the apple of God's eye. God's promise to them, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, the Midianites have brought such chaos to them, they hid in the caves, and you're going to see why. And even Gideon himself was found hiding in the threshing floor. There was fear. Why? Because they became disobedient to the Lord. In verse 3, so it was whenever Israel had sown, speaking of planting their crops, and then the harvest of the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites would come up. And the people of the east would come up against them. They would come to take of the harvest. Why? Because at this time in Israel, there was disobedience. Because this time in Israel, there was sin in the camp. And yet during the time of Deborah, there was 40 years of rest. How quick we forget. And then we cry out, and we say, God, why do you allow these things? Well, what is it that you're doing? How is your life? Was your life right during the time of Deborah? Yes. Well, is your life right now? No. And so sin begins to creep in. Remember, Paul warns to remove the leaven because a, a, a little bit of leaven will, will grow. A little bit of leaven will grow. It's obvious if you go to the doctor and you say, uh, I've got this sore and it's in my, my hand and you don't take care of it. It can become infected and, and gangrene can set in. And if you don't cut that off, then you will die. And that's the way sin is. Notice that they were being taken advantage of. In verse 4, then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. Now, it's interesting, as you study uh, Israel and their triumph, uh, God promised uh, them the land of Canaan, the land of milk and honey, Gaza is the southernmost point along the Mediterranean Sea. When they had arrived in Gaza, they had gone through the land. 
They had gone through the land which God said was to be theirs. And now they're falling short to the Midianites. Fear sets in. They're hiding in the caves and the dens. You're going to find Gideon hiding in the threshing floor. Why? Because the enemies would come, not just the Midianites, the Amalekites and those from the east, and they would come and take the spoils. And they could not defend themselves because there was no power, no strength. Look at verse 5 now. And they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in numerous, as numerous as the locusts. Both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. I mean, they punished Israel. Interesting to me that God allowed it to take place. Why? Because they were disobedient. Why? Because they began to worship foreign gods. Why? Because they were in sin. And so we read earlier, God handed them over to the Midianites. Notice where Israel found herself. Verse 6, so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel. And finally, they cry out to the Lord. The word impoverished, they had been brought down uh, to weakness, complete weakness, frailty. Another word to translate uh, that they were impoverished, they were oppressed. They were oppressed. And let me tell you something. I believe uh, it also brought on anxieties. I mean, they were a broken people. And rightfully so, Israel cried out, to the Lord. I thank God it only took seven years. But even through those seven years, much judgment had come. Notice in, in verse 7 now. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. We've often shared this, especially we've been going through uh, the Old Testament. We have two choices. When we're going through what we're going through, when God is chastening us, when God is calling us to the carpet, when God is saying, hey, your life is wrong, get right. And so we have two choices. We can either run to God or we can run from God. And in all reality at this time, they had run from God for the last seven years. And in verse 8, and the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you up out of the house of bondage. This is the word of the Lord being brought to them by the prophet. Were they so quick to forget the victories in Deborah? Were they so quick to forget the victories in Joshua? Were they so quick to forget the victories in Moses? Through Moses, what God did for 40 years in the wilderness, did they forget that their forefathers had cried out to the Lord, send us a deliverer. The taskmasters are too great. Over 400 years of bondage in Egypt. And so God sends a prophet. Do we need a prophet today? There are those that might call themselves prophets of God. In all reality, why do we need a prophet when we have the Word of God? When we have our 66 books, 
when we have from Genesis to Revelation, when we have 39 Old Testament, and we have 27 New Testaments. I'm very leery when somebody comes up and says, thus saith the Lord. And if it's not in Scripture, uh, I'm going to put it to the test. Is this guy for real? Is this girl for real? Is it of the Lord? Is it of their flesh? You have to be very careful. The Bible says to test the spirit to see if they are of the Lord. But it's interesting that the prophet came to deliver God's message. Did you forget the oppression in Egypt of your forefathers? Did they forget the 400 years of bondage? Did they forget the victories in the Red Sea? Did they forget the pillar of fire by night? The cloud by day? I mean, how could you skip the, the story of manna in the desert? God provided manna every day. And when they complained, uh, we want meat, God sent them quail so much that it came through their nostrils. But we're so quick to forget what God brought us through. I think sometimes we need to evaluate. Sometimes we need to go back. Sometimes we can catch ourselves murmuring and complaining. And sometimes we need to go back to where we used to be. Sometimes we need to take ourselves back uh, uh, to our BC days and how we finally cried out to the Lord and how he has brought us from the affliction of the world. This was the children of Israel. In verse 10, also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites. Notice it's a small g. In whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why has judgment come? Why were you handed over uh, to the Midianites? Notice what it says. But you have not obeyed my voice. You see, church, there's no fear in God. Fear is of the flesh or fear is of the devil. The perfect love casts out all fear. And, and this disobedience will bring fear. <laughs> Worshiping a foreign gods can bring fear, especially when you belong to the Lord, especially when you committed your life to God, especially the children of Israel, when they knew beyond a shadow of a doubt they were the apple of God's eye. Did you so quick to forget? And so now we come into verse 11, the fifth judge, and this is Gideon. I want you to see uh, his Hebrew name. Basically, it means warrior. And yet you're going to see how this warrior of God, <laughs> this man of valor, they're going to call him, he was hiding himself in the dens. He was fearful also. Look at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord, I believe this is a Christophany or this is a theophany of Christ or theophany of God in the Old Testament. We often see this. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites. The angel of the Lord came and sat under the tabernacle tree, which was in Ophrah, uh, which belonged to Joash, the Abyssalite. While his son Gideon, listen, he threshed wheat in the wine presses in order to hide it from the Midianites. 
the threshing floors were usually up in the high places. And it would be a good place to hide. The reason they would be up in the high places, sometimes you would climb a hill or climb a portion of the mountain. And the reason they were up, they would take the, the wheat and cast it into the air. And the winds would be up there, and the winds would take the chaff. And so Gideon was using it as a hiding place. And at the same time, uh, trying to save some of the wheat because they had nothing. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east would come, and they would take. But I like this. That the prophet of the Lord, now we already seen the prophet of the Lord earlier. They don't mention who the prophet of the Lord is. But the prophet came to exhort. The prophet would also come to teach. The prophet would also come to warn. But then the angel of the Lord came, listen, to give instructions. A theophany of God in the time of the Old Testament. A Christophany of Christ. In the Old Testament, we see that. Notice now in verse 12, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. Uh, this is Gideon, the warrior. He says, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. But this mighty man of valor is hiding in the threshing floor. This mighty man of valor has fear in his heart towards the Midianites. The word that is used here in the Hebrew, almighty man of valor, the Hebrew speaks of a powerful warrior of strength because Gideon's name means warrior, warrior, uh, then mighty man of valor, man of strength, man of virtue, man of integrity, and yet he's hiding in the threshing floor. Verse 13, Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? He's asking a good question. And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. We see no mention of, of Gideon saying sin. No mention of Gideon saying disobedience. All we hear is, why has the Lord done this to me? When we receive communion in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that whole portion, and then Paul speaks about uh, that when the Lord broke bread with his disciples, speaks about the Last Supper, he took the bread, he broke it. Take this, do this in remembrance of me. He took the cup. He says, take this, do this in remembrance of me. He's showing us the bread, uh, which represents his body. He's showing us the cup, which represents his blood. But if you continue to study in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says there needs to be examination of your own heart before you come to the communion table. So here's judgments. They're coming. Gideon, have you taken time to examine your own heart? Have you taken time to examine the hearts of, of your own family? 
because that's exactly what was going on. But we always do exactly this. Lord, why have you forsaken us? What have we done? Yet you're in disobedience. Yet you're worshiping foreign gods. When you think about Gideon, just like anybody else, he did not see the sin. In verse 14, then the Lord turned to him and said, go uh, in this might of yours. I've placed a calling on you, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? You go in God's strength, Gideon. The strength of the Lord. The victory will be yours, but it will be in the Lord, just like the song of Deborah. In verse 15, so he said to him, Oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. I love the honesty of Gideon. My family is the poorest in the tribe of Manasseh. I am the weakest link of my own family. Let me give you some insight here. If you've ever read the Harvest Book, it's the story of Calvary Chapel. Pastor Chuck literally began Calvary Chapel. Uh, the Lord began it through him back in 1965. And I have to be honest with you because Chuck would be the first one to tell you it was never his vision uh, to reach the hippies. It was his wife, Kay. She had such a burden, such a, a heart uh, to reach these young people that were so lost in the 60s. And lo and behold, God began to do a work. And in the book Harvest, you begin to read some of the men that God used. Motley crew, they were called. Gangbangers. Motorcycle people. People that were into, uh, you know, in and out of body worship. And that was Skip Seitzig. After all, we know that uh, he was so belligerent and he was so evil, he was so mean, he wanted to kill his own wife. A lot of the early pastors of Calvary Chapel, uh, some of them barely graduated. Some of them didn't even graduate college, let alone that they have college. They didn't even finish high school some. But then later, they began to go back to school. How many of those, like Pastor Raw? struggled in their speech. I don't speak well. That's exactly what Moses said. Uh, send my brother Aaron. But God had called Moses. When you listen to Pastor Rawl, he speaks a whole lot better now. But in the early days, he had such a heavy accent. And some of the words he would turn around, all of us do that. And then along comes Pancho Juarez, and oh my gosh, even today it's hard to uh, translate some of the things he says. But look how God uses these men. These are motley crews. And so here's Gideon. Lord, how can you even think of using me? I said that years ago. Lord, send somebody else. I'm too old now. But God had chosen Gideon. Look at verse 16. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. The promise of God, the promise of God to Gideon, God's promises are sure. Surely I will be with you, 
you shall defeat the Midianite as one man. All you have to do is obey my word. In verse 17, then he said to him, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Isn't faith enough? Isn't trusting in the voice of the Lord? Isn't trusting in his scriptures enough? Gideon says, show me a sign. Show me a vision. I'm reminded in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it tells us to trust in the Lord. With all your heart, lean not upon your own understandings. And everything, acknowledge him. Sometimes we, we worry. Well, I can't speak right. You know, I'm, I'm not educated. I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. God's looking for willing vessels, and that was Gideon. So what does Gideon say? Verse 17, if now I have found favor in your sight, then show me. Show me through a sign that it's you that's talking with me. And again, isn't faith enough? Look at verse 18, do not depart from here. Gideon says, I pray until I come to you and bring uh, out an offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait. The angel of the Lord said, I will wait until you come back. I like the hospitality here, Middle Eastern. Don't leave until I prepare something for you. I want to prepare something for you. And he does. So Gideon went out, went in and prepared a young goat, unleavened bread, and an epaph of flour. Uh, the meat he put in a basket, and he put uh, the broth in a pot, and he brought them out to him uh, under the Tiberneth tree and presented them. Again, the hospitality uh, in Israel. And so a stranger would come. And this is the angel of the Lord. And, so, you know, Gideon, he's trying to uh, appease him or he's trying to be hospitable to him. And, and generally they would lay out, you know, uh, the cakes of bread, lay out the olive oil, lay out some figs and some wine and, and some pomegranates, whatever it might be. The situation here, he brought meat. There'd be other times they could easily bring a piece of fish. But notice in verse 20, I love this. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. He was obedient. And then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And the fire arose up out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of the sight. He desired a sacrifice. He wasn't hungry. He wasn't famished. He wasn't thirsty. He desired a sacrifice. He desired a sacrifice. And he consumed the, the sacrifice. Look at verse 22. Now Gideon perceived. The light bulb went on. Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He recognized that the visitation was divine. He recognized that the vision was deity. He recognized 
It was from the throne of God. Was it a Christophany of Jesus in the Old Testament? Or was it a theophany of God in the Old Testament? Then the Lord said, look at verse 23. I said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. How many times do we have to be reminded? Peace be with you. Do not fear. And this had to have been in Gideon's heart. So he says, you shall not die. Sometimes we have to be reminded. When Mary and I came out here, and, you know, we went through all the pains and, and we went through all the struggles and uh, much prayer. We did a lot of fasting. There was a lot of vision. Uh, there was a lot of dreams. There was a lot of uh, people encouraging us. And there was a lot of other people discouraging us. And God said, go. God said, go, and that he was going to take care of us. And some of the, uh, some of the first couple of years, in fact, the first five years, we struggled so much. And I mean, having to get in the food line, having to get in a butter line, and this was tough. I, I never did that in Southern California. I always worked. I, I couldn't find work here. Unemployment, I had to, we had to literally live on it. And there was times in my prayer, Lord, do you know what's going on in our lives? Lord, my children, Lord, my wife. And there was times that I even said to God, I still remember, Lord, did you bring us out here to die? And so that's Gideon. And so the Lord said to him, peace be with you. Do not fear. Perfect love cast out all fear again. First John 4, 18. Then he says, you shall not die. What's the promise that God gave to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob? What's the promise that uh, he gave to Joseph? What's the promise that he gave to Joshua? The promise that he gave to Moses, I will never leave you nor forsake you. It's the same promise he's given to us, church. Look at verse 24. So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, the Lord is peace. So uh, to this day, it is still in Ophrah, the Abyssalites. Yahweh is Shalom. That's what he calls the place. Yahweh is Shalom, the God of peace. In verse 25, now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar. What was the problem? The altars of Baal worship that your father has and cut them down. Listen, cut down the wooden images that is besides it. The groves, remember we shared that? They would take the portions of the bottoms of the tree and they would carve out of their gods. Well, I want you to take those down. I want you to use it. Watch what happens now. In verse 26, and build an altar uh, to the Lord your God on the top of this rock in the proper arrangement and take the second bull now and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood and the images which you shall cut down. They tore down the altar of Baal. They took the wood uh, of the carvings of, of Baal worship and now make this sacrifice. Make this sacrifice. 
I like that. So Gideon took 10 men, verse 27, from among his servants and did as the Lord had said to him. But because he feared his father's household and, and the men of the city had too much to do this by day. It says that Gideon did it by night. I'm reminded back in the Gospel of John chapter 3 uh, when Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, he came to Jesus. The Bible says he came at night. He came at night. Why? He was a religious Jew. I believe he belonged to the Sanhedrin. He came by night because he feared his peers. But Jesus didn't chastise him for it. He shared, uh, he answered his questions. You must be born again. And so now, <laughs> uh, here's Gideon. He goes by night to make the sacrifice. And Gideon does, obedient to the, uh, the angel of the Lord, Gideon destroys the altars of Baal. Remember, his name is warrior in the Hebrew. In verse 28, and when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden images that was beside it was cut down. These were the groves we spoke of last week. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. Gideon took care of business. Gideon is obedient. And remember this, this is his dad's altar. His dad was worshiping a foreign god. His dad was worshiping Baal. Notice now in verse 29. So they said to one another, who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Oh, they're quick. They are quick to point the finger. And they're hoping that Joash chastens his own son. In verse 30, then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die because he has torn down the altar of Baal and because he has cut down uh, the groves or the wooden images that were beside it. These men were Israelites. Didn't they know the scriptures? Didn't they not know the Lord detest idol worship? Exodus uh, chapter 20, it was part of the Ten Commandments. As you study the lifestyle during this time, when they worshiped these foreign gods, many times, there was sexual activity uh, concerning these sexual gods. And the prostitutes would run uh, back and forth. And so these men of the city, they like their pleasures. Who has destroyed these gods? Who has destroyed uh, this Baal worship? When we go back to Exodus, Moses is up in the mountain. He's receiving the instructions from the Lord. And the people that are down at the valley waiting for Moses, but Moses took a long time. And they began to worship the golden calf that they knew in Egypt. And when Moses comes down the hill at the foot of the mountain, Joshua is waiting. He says, there's merriment down at the camp. 
And Moses already knew that merry man is not of the Lord. They were having sexual relationship. And so this was the situation here. And so when the foreign gods would be worshipped, they would incorporate sexuality and the pleasures, lasciviousness, etc. But you have to respect finally. God said to Gideon, I will be with you. He was fearful of his dad, but look at verse 31. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? I believe the Spirit of the Lord has spoken to Gideon's dad now. Would you save him? Look at the mockery that he's saying. And let the one who would plead for, for him uh, be put to death by morning. If he is a god, small g, let him plead for himself because his altar has been torn down. God has spoken to Gideon. But now God is speaking to Gideon's dad, Joash. Notice in verse 32, Therefore, on that day he called him Jerubbabel, saying, Let Baal lead against him, because he had torn down his altar. The name Jerubbabel in the Hebrew, Let Baal plead for himself. I'm reminded of the story. If you've never read it, you'd never study it. You need to go back to 1 Kings chapter 18. Moses came against the foreign gods. Moses came against the foreign priest. And Moses killed over 400. But before he did that, he said, go ahead and build an altar to your God. Go ahead and, and bring your priest Bring your prophets and let them make worship. And let them call down fire. And they tried every which way. Remember, uh, the sacrifice and all the wood was soaked in water. And Elijah became a little testy. Elijah became a little belligerent. <laughs> Elijah became a, a little sarcastic. Hey, cut yourself. And they began to cut themselves as their custom was, uh, cut yourself more, scream louder, call on your God. And in fact, when you study uh, the, the story, Elijah says, hey, in sarcasm, maybe he's asleep, or maybe he's busy, maybe he's in the bathroom. That's the translation when you see it. And we know that when they could not prevail, Elijah prayed, and he prayed, and he gave glory to God. And the consuming fire came, and not only took up the sacrifice and all the burnt wood, but also the stones, consumed it totally. And then Elijah went ahead, and the prophets, the 400 prophets had to die. In verse 33, then the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together and they crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. This is also called uh, the Valley of Megiddo. We're going to study next week over 132,000 Midianites died at the hand of God. Oh, mighty man of valor, Gideon would be used tremendously. But let's finish this off now. We have a little bit more to go. 
But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, verse 34. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abyssalites gathered behind him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him, who also sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulon, and to Naphtali. These are other tribes of the children of Israel. And they came up to meet him, preparing for the battle. Had they heard what Gideon had done, but they're ready to follow now. You have to respect Gideon. I've put fleeces before the Lord. Some of you have put fleeces before the Lord. I shared with you last week how, you know, I, I cast lots because I didn't know how else to get an answer from God. But notice what he does here, the sign of the fleece. A fleece was a coat of wool shorn uh, from the sheep. Notice now, so verse 36, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. Uh, if there is dew on the fleece only and, and it is dry uh, on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. This would be done overnight. Now we have to ask this question. Do fleeces work today? Do casting of lots work today? These are the questions we asked on Sunday. Look at verse 38. And it was so when he rose up early in the morning the next day, he squeezed the, the fleece together and he wrung the dew out of the fleece and a bowl full of water came forth. God did exactly what Gideon had requested. God did exactly what Gideon had requested. But notice what takes place. In verse 39, then Gideon uh, said, uh, Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, uh, just one more with this fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground let there be dew. God was working with Gideon because he's the mighty man of valor? No, because God had put a call on this man. In verse 40, the conclusion, and I'm going to share a little bit of testimony, what Pastor Chuck said about this. In verse 40, and God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece. Only, but there was dew on all the ground. Wow. Again, what about today, church? I shared Sunday. I needed to know uh, if to move my family 850 miles uh, to a, a place that my wife and I had never come. We knew about New, Me New Mexico, but we had never been here. We had to trust in the Lord. It's not as easy as you think. And so I cast lots by placing the 20 names in the box. And the third time, God pulled out Las Cruces, New Mexico. We scrambled together about $7,000. Uh, back then, it was a lot of money, 1982. It's still a lot of money today. And we went through that money quickly. But look what God has done in the last 32-plus years. Concerning fleeces. And concerning lots, Pastor Chuck, in speaking about putting out a fleece for God to answer, 
Let me read this to you. People seek to discern the voice of God by offering up a fleece before the Lord. They are looking to see if it's truly God speaking to their heart. Uh, Pastor Chuck says, I don't know how valid fleeces are today in the New Testament for children of, of the Lord to ascertain the will of God. In the Old Testament, he goes on, uh, the place of, of, of placing a fleece, that is, before the Lord, or casting of lots before the high priest, where it was a yes or a no answer from God. We studied last Sunday in the book of Acts chapter 1, the men of God cast lots to determine if the 12th apostle uh, that was to replace Judas Iscariot, and we said, was it Joseph Barsabbas or was it Matthias? We know that uh, we shared on Sunday the lot fell upon Matthias. But then we read later, that uh, Paul the Apostle was the, the 12th one born out of due season. And so we asked on Sunday. And so listen to how Chuck concludes this. He says, the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on the early church in the book of Acts chapter 1. But the Holy Spirit would fall on the 120 in the upper room in, in the book of Acts in chapter 2. We do not read... After Acts chapter 1, the use of fleeces or the casting of lots in the New Testament. But in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, the total and complete reliance upon the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bring all things to your remembrance. And so our reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Gideon uh, still has more to do. Gideon has more trust that he has to do in the Lord. And that's just like us. We have to trust God. Let's all stand we'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord. We praise you. We worship you. As you directed uh, Deborah, as she sang the beautiful song, uh, a ballad of victory. And then, Lord, we see Gideon, mighty man of valor, but he was hiding in the threshing floor, hiding in the caves. And all of Israel was fearful of the Midianites, the Amalekites, and the people of the east. They were coming and taking of their crops. But, Lord, you used Gideon. He put out a fleece, and you answered that fleece. Lord, let us rely today upon the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads us and guides us into all truth. Lord, I ask you to bless your people as they've come tonight. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.